good morning, Orchard Hill Church. Oh, I love that. It is good to be here with you this morning. Today we are continuing in our series, hopefully you've heard by now, Christmas Changes Everything. So I want to invite you to turn with me to the good news we're going to be reading today in Colossians 1, starting in verse 20. Colossians, or I'm sorry, starting in verse 15. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. Here we find the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Colossa, and he's talking to them about what the incarnation of Christ means for us. Now last week, Pastor Bob introduced the word incarnate to us. It means that God himself took on our flesh and came to live and to dwell among us as human, fully God and fully man. And this morning, Paul tells us what that means for us today, especially as it pertains to holiness. So brothers and sisters, let's read the word of the Lord from the book that we love. But remember this morning as we respond, instead of saying, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God, we're going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond with, this changes everything. So the word of the Lord, starting in Colossians 1, verse 15. He, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. This changes everything. What a beautiful word for us this morning, friends, as we get ready for the Christmas season. It's a beautiful word because it, it has some real depth, and I hope we caught it. I want to invite you to look back at that first statement with me in verse 15. It's a, it's a good day to keep your Bibles open. Verse 15 starts like this. He is the image, Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. God. God who had been with his people from the beginning in the garden to this pre-Christmas moment that is just at the end of what they call the 400 years of silence. The 400 years where it felt like God was quiet and they were just waiting and waiting for hope to break through. That God who had been ever present with his people, but never fully seen. And why? Why could God's people not fully see the presence of God? That wasn't allowed. Because the presence of a glorious, holy God, that fullness of all he was, all who he was, all of his goodness, glory, and grace, could not be beheld 
in the presence of broken, fallen, and sinful people. The two did not mix. One could not be fully experienced in the presence of the other. The word in Hebrew for holy is kadosh. Kadosh means set apart, sacred, holy. Our God set apart from broken, unholy sinners like you and me. So no one could see the fullness, the glory, the full holiness of our God and live to tell about it. In Exodus, God says this to Moses. Exodus 33, God says, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Now we know that Moses met with God in the tent of meeting, right? So this might seem like a strange like a strange thing to say. We know he met with God in the tent of meeting, and we know that Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock, and the very presence of God passed by Moses. But the fullness of all of God, the face of God, all the holiness and glory of God, Moses had been hidden from that. Because as God says, no one can see my face and live. Are we starting to understand why that first verse, that first statement, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? You're starting to understand why verse 19 where it says Jesus had all the, was all the fullness of God here with mankind. Are we starting to understand why that is such a radical notion? If we look at the state of, of, the Jewish, of the Jews and their holiness when Jesus was on the, in the earth, we start to get a bigger picture of how wild this was, right? The Jewish leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the people who were supposed to be the holy ones, the religious leaders of the day, the people who walked in right relationship with God and beckoned the people to say, follow me as I follow God, and to show them the way of holiness. What did Jesus call them to their face? when they were on the earth, when he was on the earth. He calls them, I hear some of it, he calls them hypocrites. He calls them a brood of vipers. Whitewashed tombs looking beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, full of death and decay. He calls them blind guides, serpents, fools. And he even calls them children of hell. These were the religious leaders of the day. The ones who were supposed to be a vision of holiness to guide the people. And this isn't the only time we see this in leadership. Throughout biblical history, there is a, a common theme of God's priests being disobedient. God's priests doing things that are unworthy of a priest, unworthy of a man that is supposed to be holy before God. They've even been punished for not being faithful by having their lives taken from them. So this is not a unique thing we see in Jesus' day. But that holiness and leadership was missing over and over throughout generations. And second, when we think about the state of holiness as Jesus came on the scene, we are told that the fullness of God's holiness, of his presence, was inaccessible to the people simply by the location in which it dwelt. Where did the presence of God 
dwell with his people in Jesus' day. In the temple. In the holy of holies. God's presence was there with the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, the innermost room in the temple, the one that was accessible to no one but one. One day of the year, Yom Kippur, the high priest, one time a year, he was allowed to enter that room. And the only reason he was allowed to enter that room was to burn incense and to sprinkle blood of animals that was to atone for his own sin and for the sin of the people. Yes, God dwelt with his people. but His full holiness, his presence, the image of God was not something that was accessible to his people. It was behind a curtain. And, and even when it was in the ark, and the ark was being transported, we get this story in the Old Testament of they're carrying the ark, um, and, and as they're carrying it, one side slips, and the ark begins to fall off, and a man, not wanting the ark of God to fall, reaches out to do something that we think would be a good gesture, right? Reaches out to catch the ark so it doesn't fall, and what happens to that man as soon as his unholy flesh touches the holy ark of God? He drops dead right there. And that is the vision for us of what it looks like when unholy man mixes with a holy, glorious God. This is the picture that we get of holiness as Jesus enters the scene. Us human beings falling pitifully short. God had shown us the way to live in holiness before him. He had given us the word. He had given us the book of the law. And we had 613 different laws that told us how to live in holiness. But over and over, we failed and we failed and we failed because of our brokenness and our sinful nature. And that is where we were. In our hopeless and pitiful state, stuck in the cycle of sin and unholiness. And this is a big problem. (laughs) Because as Hebrews 12 tells us, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's bad news. We know that men were not holy. And without holiness, this doesn't just mean see. No one will see the Lord with their own eyes. In order to fully be in the presence of something, you will see it. If you want to live with someone, you will see them. If you want to be in in, in communion with something, you will see it. This is saying without holiness, no one will be able to live in right relationship, let alone eternal life with God. And that is bad news, and that is the state of things where we were until Christmas. Because Christmas, we know, Jesus, when he came into this world, he changed everything. That's what's so wild about those verses we looked at. Colossians 1 verse 9 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When Jesus came into this world, he was no mere baby, no just ordinary child. As he grew, he was no mere man. He was fully God and fully man. God incarnate came, meant that the fullness of God, 
the fullness, the image of God was with us right here in this world. What we had been struggling to do, live a holy life, follow the law, be in right relationship with God, what we had been failing to do since the fall of humanity, suddenly it was before our eyes in full perfection. He was here in his fullness, visible before our very lives. And he came to show us what holiness looked like. He came in person into this broken world with our skin, with our flesh, with our body. He took that on to show us. John 1 verse 14 tells us this. The apostle John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. I love these verses. And Eugene Peterson in the message version, he paraphrases the first part of verse, this verse in this way. He says, the word became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Our God in his fullness, in his holiness, the vision right before our eyes moved into our neighborhood. Okay, maybe not our neighborhood, but a very real neighborhood. And suddenly, holiness wasn't behind a curtain. It wasn't to be veiled, something we couldn't look at, something we couldn't reach out and we couldn't touch for fear of death. Suddenly, holiness was right in front of us. It was living with us. He was breathing with us. He was walking next to us and he was reaching out and touching us. That is how Christmas changes everything. And he went beyond the 613 laws. The word himself was not just the word, but he embodied the word. Jesus Christ didn't just speak holiness. He was holiness, brothers and sisters. And he showed us holiness. He showed us the holy way we'd been trying and failing to live with every breath he took on this earth. The disciples marveled. They saw this man and they marveled. They knew something was different. The world wanted to know more about Jesus. His presence was magnetic. And the difference was his holiness, fully God, in all of his glory, for the first time, showed to us. He showed us holiness. He showed it by the way he denied sin. Scripture tells us something remarkable. Hebrews tells us, Jesus had been tempted in every way, just as we are. Just as me and you, brothers and sisters, think of all the things that tempt us on a daily basis. Jesus experienced all of those temptations. Yet he, yet he was without sin. That's remarkable, isn't it? He showed us what holiness looked like by totally rejecting sin for the way of God. He showed us what holiness looked like by his perfect relationship with the Father. In John, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. And when Jesus rises out of the waters of baptism, the voice of God is heard and he says, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God's relationship, Jesus' relationship with his Father is perfect. 
He is sustained by the Father. He goes away to spend time with the Father. He prioritizes that relationship. He shows us what it looks like to pray and to have a deep relationship with the Father. Holiness was seen in Jesus by the way he communed with his Father. And he showed us what holiness looked like through his teachings. In Mark 1, Mark tells us that the people were amazed by Jesus' teachings because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. There was something different about this guy. The words that he was saying brought life. It was different. It held a different authority. And so often he said this phrase, you have heard it was said by the Romans, the culture, the political power of the day. You have heard that it was said by the Pharisees, the ones who were giving a really bad picture of what holiness was supposed to look like. And then Jesus would say, but I say to you, this is the way of holiness. Walk in it. He upped the ante in word and in deed. Everything Jesus did in his life on this earth showed us failing, unholy human beings for the first time in human form what perfect holiness before God looked like. We finally saw it, brothers and sisters. We finally saw it. And then, after spending a lifetime of showing us what it looked like, Jesus knew that even with his perfect instruction, his perfect example, and his perfect teaching, we would not be able to achieve holiness on our own. We had proven for centuries that we were incapable of that. So Jesus showed us what holiness looked like as he laid down his own life on the cross for you and for me. His holy blood shed for our contaminated blood. His perfect relationship with the Father translated onto us through faith in what he had done. Every ounce of holiness that Jesus had, he said, this can be yours through my sacrifice if you would but believe. This is what the Apostle Paul means in verse 20 of our passage today when he writes that Jesus was able to reconcile all things to himself, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Brothers and sisters, our holy God gave his life so that by having faith in him, you and I can be made holy too. And in that moment when Jesus gave his life and took his final breath on the cross, that curtain was finally ripped in two. The curtain to the holy of holies. The curtain that was in the way that said, no man, you cannot enter. You cannot experience the fullness, the glory, the holiness of God. It was ripped in two and we had access through our holy Lord Jesus Christ, through his life given us, we finally had access to the Father. That is what Christ's holiness has done for us. And brothers and sisters, this is the good news that Christmas changes everything. Amen. Do you see it? Do you see it? Amen. And the good news is, this is for everyone. 
I stand before you this morning only because a holy God reached out to an unholy Laura Klaus and said, child, I have done this for you. Jesus lived his life reaching out to the ostracized, reaching out to the unclean, reaching out to the condemned, reaching out to the socially abhorrent. He went to a woman living in adultery, let alone a Samaritan woman, one that no Jewish man would have anything to do with. And to this woman, he revealed himself as the Messiah. He sought her out, an unclean woman, and gave her the good news. He went to the lepers. He didn't run from them. When they yelled, unclean, unclean, he didn't run the other way like the rest of the society, but he reached out to them and touched them and healed them. He invited an unholy, traitorous Jew who served as a tax collector to come into his very inner circle. And he called 12 men that society would have scoffed at to be those that he let into his heart, into his circle, and that he used to build the church. So brothers and sisters, we know there is no one too unholy for the holy blood of Jesus to cleanse. Amen. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you've heard this story a thousand times, if you're just a Christmas and Easter person or if you're in the pew every single week. But do not leave here today thinking that you are too unholy to be touched by Jesus because his whole life showed us that he was about making holiness accessible through faith in what he has done. And if you are here, and you have put your faith in Jesus, and you're going, same story, second verse, Pastor Laura. I know this one by heart. Great, holiness, woohoo. Now what? That is the question, isn't it? Now what? What is the good news for us inside this today as people who are faithfully following Jesus? Now what, surprisingly enough, takes us back to a verse, a verse in Isaiah. Brother and sister, if you have received the holiness, the, the ability to be holy through Christ, to walk in holiness before God because of faith in his sacrifice, listen to this verse. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it, and wicked fools will not go about on it. What is next for those who already believe? to walk in the way, the way that was given, the highway that was prophesied by Isaiah that the Messiah would lay out for his people. What is next? It is to walk in the way of holiness that Jesus has shown us, to live in right relationship, abiding in Christ before the Father. And when we do this, as God's people, when we do this, when we walk on the way of holiness and live holy lives before God, two things will happen, and I can guarantee it. Two things will happen. The first thing that will happen is that your life will be filled with deep joy. I mean deep joy. Now, Satan doesn't want us to believe this. Satan really wants to trick us into thinking that holiness and joy I have things stuck in me, sorry. Holiness and joy don't have anything to do with each other. 
that if you lead a holy life, it is going to be boring. It is going to be stuffy. You're not going to have any fun. It's going to be an adventureless drag that will one day end in singing forever. Really? <laughs> but that is the devil. That is Satan trying to trick us to dance with glee down a road called happiness that does not lead to life. Joy is so much fuller than happiness. And the truth is that holiness and joy are not enemies. They are marriage partners. Amen. When we walk in holiness before God, we are given joy unspeakable because we are living in the very presence of Christ. I can speak from experience because I have tried the other ways, the other highways, the other roads. I have sought satisfaction and peace and hope and joy in those places. And I can tell you from many broken experiences, I did not find them there. Do you know the song, Only the Good Die Young? Only the good die young. Yeah, someone can sing it better than I can. That song is a dirty old lie, boo! It is so catchy. But I was thinking about that song and wrestling with it this week as I wrote the message. The whole song is about this, this young woman who has put her faith in God and who is entering into this new phase of her life and is excited. And there's this guy who thinks he's the bee's knees over here going, hey, uh, didn't count on me, did you, when you said yes to Jesus? And it's this picture. It's this picture of what Satan tries to do. Yes, we have made a commitment to Christ, but he tries to make this way look stuffy and lifeless. And all the things of our old selves, of the world, of Satan, they call to us, they beckon us, and they say, this way is better. Your way is boring. But we know that that is not the case, don't we, brothers and sisters? The disciples knew this. They craved being in the presence of Jesus. The happiest, the most joyful people that I know are the people that are walking that road of holiness. Amen to that. Amen. Do you know someone like that? Someone that you look at and that you say they have so much joy and it is because they have tried that road and they have found the lie and they know that this highway, this way, the way of God's holiness is the way of joy, intimacy and satisfaction in God. A way that the fleeting happiness that the world promises cannot sustain. And yet this joy... This unshakable joy puts that kind of worldly happiness to shame because it is standing through pain, through loss, through loneliness, through brokenness because it's based on the incontrovertible truth that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again for me and for you. And that nothing can take that away and that our God is now accessible through that promise and the fullness of his holiness brings us joy and satisfaction like nothing else in this world. Amen. And the second thing you'll find as you walk that highway of holiness, brothers and sisters, is that the world becomes a more joyful place. Not only in your personal life, but in the lives of those around you. In Ezekiel 38, God says this, I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And God has been faithful to do that. He has revealed himself over the years. His glory was seen in the pillar of fire as he led Israel through the desert. 
His glory was seen throughout the miracles he has done throughout history. His holiness was seen in Jesus Christ. But now, to reveal himself to the nations through holiness, he has chosen you. That is the avenue that Christ is now revealing himself in. Listen to those words. I will show my greatness and my holiness, and they will know that I am the Lord. You, your holy living, shows the greatness and the holiness of God, and it is a declaration to the nations so they will know the Lord. When you live a holy life, a life like Jesus, that others say, I don't know what's going on with this guy, with this girl, but I want what they have. I want that joy. I want that different kind of life. When you live that faithfully before God, others will see, and they'll come to know Jesus Christ. That 90-year-old man that we talked about this morning, his son has been showing him the way. His daughter-in-law, his children, his grandchildren have been showing him the way of holiness through their lives and saying there's something about this holy Jesus that's worth it. When we live before our holy God in right relationship to him, we will experience joy and the world will experience it with us. So brothers and sisters, when we consider that Christmas changes everything, because God in all his fullness became visible for us, made a way for us to be right with God and to live holy lives. And that brings us joy and brings the world joy. When we think about that this morning, our natural response to holiness from God is rejoicing. Psalm 105 tells us this, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts who seek the Lord rejoice. On the day that holiness was born into this world, our rejoicing became possible. And brothers and sisters, this changes everything. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you just overwhelmed by your goodness and your grace. Overwhelmed by the fact that through your holy life and your holy life given in exchange for our broken one, through faith in that, we can be holy before you, God. You have cleansed us, and now you beckon us to walk this holy road. And God, we ask for your help. Because we know this side of eternity, we still struggle, and we still wrestle. God, continue to strengthen us as we abide in you, merely by your presence. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who hasn't been sure about this Jesus. May they hear you right in this moment, speaking to their hearts, beckoning them to say, there is no one too far for me to reach with my holiness. There is no one I don't want. God, you are good and you love us. Let them hear that call and let them respond by saying yes to you as Lord and Savior. And God, as we, your people, go from this place today, let us go with the truth that your holiness brings us joy, and we, may we bring that joy to the world lost in darkness, looking for hope that is you. And it's in Jesus' name all God's people said. Amen. So brothers and sisters, we have heard the word, and we know about joy. So would you stand with me as we respond by singing in joy to our gracious God?